Support comes from Empower Missouri, providing in-person and virtual training to become an advocate for Missourians living in poverty. Registration for Empower Missouri's March 27th Advocacy Day is at empowermissouri.org WOA. From St. Louis Public Radio. This is Politically Speaking. As the 2023 Missouri Legislative Session enters its third month, the legislature has already passed a supplemental budget bill containing raises for state workers and is making headway on other policies. Some of those include a resolution to make it harder to amend Missouri's constitution and a bill that allows for the appointment of a special prosecutor to address crimes in cities like St. Louis. Both of those have passed the House so far. On this episode of Politically Speaking, Democratic Representative David Tyson-Smith joins the show to talk about not only those issues, but other policies the legislature is considering this year. Let's hit the music. This is the Politically Speaking podcast, the definitive show about Missouri politics. My promise to St. Louis was that I would do the absolute most for each and every person, starting with those who have the very least. What I wanted to do was look and see what other states are doing. We have to be willing to change those laws, that they are balanced and they affect everybody equally. As somebody that grew up in the St. Louis area, North St. Louis County, I didn't know any lawyers growing up. we got to find long-term solutions to make government better, but also to be able to provide services to people. I don't want to leave that federal money that we've been leaving all these years on the table. We need to be spending this money to take care of Missourians. I thought we accomplished a lot this year, but a lot more needs to be done. Hello and welcome to Politically Speaking. I'm your host, St. Louis Public Radio's State House and Politics Reporter, Sarah Kellogg. Joining me is my co-host. He is St. Louis Public Radio's political correspondent. Jason Rosenbaum. And joining us today, across from me, this lovely Tuesday morning, he is the state representative for District 46, which includes part of Columbia, Missouri. Absolutely. David Tyson-Smith. Thanks for being on the show. We're going to get right into it. Let's do it. Um, what does your new district look like after redistricting? So briefly? Uh, prior to redistricting, it was Central Columbia. So I had East Campus, most of Mizzou buildings, all through Central Columbia. So they redistricted me north of I-70. So I'm northwest, north central, and northeast of I-70. And my district dips down a little bit on the northeast side of Columbia. So I'm not entirely above, above I-70, but that's those are the general parameters. Yeah, and Boone County, or at least the Columbia area, this past election, House seats, majority if not all the House seats went to Democrats. Do you feel like that's just redistricting or, or something more? I think it's something more. I think people have an appetite for change. I mean, it's people are hopeful and they want to go in a different direction. So I'm excited about that. Um, obviously, the candidates are excited about that who ran. And, uh, you know, like Adrian Plank ran multiple times and he finally was able to break through. That wasn't a redistricting issue. That was just hard work. Yeah, fun fact, that is that is my representative because I live in the Columbia Fantastic. area. Uh, so furthermore, the Senate district, you know, right now it's current Senate President Pro Tem Caleb Brown's seat, but his district now shrank. It's now just Boone County before that. You know, do you feel like, you know, what are you think are Democrats' chances for that seat in the upcoming, in 2024? Very good. That's going to go to a Democrat without a doubt. And I think the people in Columbia are very excited about that. So I want to move to the Elections Committee, which you serve on. You know, this has seen a flurry of activity at the beginning of session sure. with initiative petition resolutions. You know, thoughts on that effort to make it harder to amend Missouri's Constitution? Well, you know, we knew it was coming. And this happened last session as well. So we were geared up. We were bracing for it, kind of like a storm that's coming through. That was one of the priorities of the Republican legislature to make it difficult to not only get things on the ballot, but for them to pass. So we've been hearing a lot of these um IP reform bills designed to, again, just make it harder for the citizens to be heard. 
one of the bills that has made it through the House would raise the threshold to pass a constitutional amendment from a simple majority to 60 percent of the vote. Yes. I, uh, what, what do you think of this idea? So it's not the worst initiative petition bill we've seen. And so, you know, we've seen some really awful ones. So of all of the bills that have come through, it's probably the least damaging because it only goes up from 50 to 60 percent. The problem I have with this bill in particular is the language on the ballot. So the ballot language on this is very misleading because the first line leads with only citizens of the United States can vote. And so people who go to the ballot box to vote on this are thinking that this is not about raising the threshold. Rather, it's about allowing only citizens of the United States to vote, which is already in statute. So that's the problem with this is, you know, why not just do this the right way, be clean about it, stop misleading the voters? And that's that's inappropriate. Uh, we asked this to your colleague, Representative Barbara Pfeiffer, but when Clean Missouri was passed in 2018, the proponents of that, you know, emphasized that they were curtailing lobbyist gifts and making marginal changes to campaign finance. And that was decried as ballot candy, and that was primarily supported by Democrats. Aren't Republicans basically just hoisting Democrats upon their own petard here? I don't think so. And I don't know if that was entirely ballot candy. I mean, this bill, you know, for example, we were on the House floor and Rep. Henderson was presenting his bill. I inquired of him and I said, what's your bill about? He didn't mention anything about citizens of the United States voting. You know, I think with Clean Missouri, there were other factors in there um, that played a role. But this, you know. He never talks about that. And I told him on the floor, I said, you're not mentioning this, but why are we leading with it? You can put it in there, right? I mean, that's fine. But why are we leading with it? I think there's a lot of bills like that where they stick in something like this just so they can lead with it. Just do the right thing. And put, if you're going to have it in there, put it at the bottom. You don't need to lead with it. Do you think this bill will pass the Senate? You know, that's the million dollar question. I, I think one of the fears we have on our side is that it's not as ex- it's not so extreme that it could. And that's the problem. You know, some of these other bills are so outrageous and so over the top. I think everyone realizes, hey, these don't have a chance. But this is only going up to 60 percent. And that's problematic. And, you know, and I said on the House floor, I appreciate the fact that we're only going from 50 to 60. This is not one of those bills that will basically kill the initiative petition process. Because a lot of these bills do that, by the way. They, they say they're tweaking, but they're just killing it. So I think that's the problem with this is it actually um, has room and there's a path for it. But we'll see. Um, we'll see. You know how difficult it is to get things done in this building. You know, it's one thing to get it through the legislature. It's another thing to get it through voters. You know, when right. it comes to messaging, do you feel like your side has it a little bit easier? Absolutely. I mean, it's a hard sell. I mean, it's a hard sell for the Republican Party to tell people, hey, we want to make it harder for you to get things done. And so how, how do you sell that? So um, I'm confident the voters are going to do the right thing. Um, but, you know, like I said, this is not so extreme and outrageous that they wouldn't pass this. But I, I think they're, I think the Republican Party is behind the eight ball in trying to get this passed because it's a hard sell to go to somebody and say, we want to make it harder for you to get your voice heard. Vote for that. Yeah. To, to zoom out a little. And, you know, do you believe these attempts to tighten the IP process are a reaction to recent votes to expand Medicaid, legalize marijuana? Or do you think it might be an attempt to get ahead of any measure that would put abortion up for constitutional protection? I think it's maybe a little bit of both. I think a lot of it, it's a backlash to Medicaid expansion. And, you know, the funny thing about power is people don't like losing it. And, you know, the Republican Party has a stranglehold on power in this building. I mean, that's just the reality. I don't care how you slice it. There's a supermajority in both, in both sides of the building. And so to allow the voters to get things on, 
you just you lose power. And so it's basically a way to consolidate power and say, hey, you know what, we don't want anything happening without our say so. Um, and people need to know that. And it's not it's not healthy for one party to have so much power. You know, in a Senate committee hearing last week, senators heard a proposed constitutional amendment that says nothing in the Constitution shall be construed to secure or protect the right to an abortion. So what do you think about that proposal? Is there kind of a possibility of dueling abortion proposals in 2024 on the ballot? Possibly. I mean, we haven't heard a lot about that on our side as far as what's coming down the pipe. And I think it's primarily because we're, we're looking at what's in front of us. But I think that's that's a very real possibility because... Obviously, the Dobbs decision had had a huge impact, and you know the abortion issue is still one that's out in front for many people. I think that for the people that don't like Missouri's abortion ban, the question is, what do you want to replace it with? Because if you put something on the ballot that, and I, I'm not saying you're going to do this, but just says you can get an abortion at any point in time, it's probably going to fail. But I think if you put some parameters around it, um, I could see it having a pathway. Is that kind of what the internal discussions are from anything that you've heard? One of the main problems with the abortion bill in Missouri is the medical exception language. So that's the biggest problem is that, you know, abort, you know, you can do it. Um, I mean, there's a provision that talks about, the, you know, a med- medical emergency. Um, you know, you can have one, you know, maybe if it's, a, if it's an emergency, but it's not really defined what that is. And I know Crystal Quaid went to the governor and during special sessions said, hey, look, let's define what a medical emergency is. And he refused to do it. And so nobody knows what that is. You know, I had a surgeon uh, message me um, and say, hey, look, what about a C-section? She's from St. Louis. What about a C-section type of procedure? Is that a medical emergency? If I, had I said, listen, I can't tell you. And it's a B felony. And so if you're a doctor and you do this and you think it's a medical emergency and you're wrong, so you realize a B felony is five to 15 years in prison and the loss of your license. So who's going to do that? And so, I mean, imagine a situation where you have a woman who's having an ectopic pregnancy and it's in the middle of the night. She's in a lot of pain. She goes to the doctor. The doctor doesn't want to do it because he's afraid he could lose his license or go to prison. So he turns her away. Well, then she's got like a two or three hour ride to Illinois or Kansas. It doesn't make sense. I mean, those things need to be nailed down. And if they would Put something on the ballot that would define what a medical emergency is, ectopic pregnancy or a reasonable belief of a medical emergency. Um, I think there, there might be some room. Yeah, how I mean, your party has gained a few seats in, in the House. I think that there is some conjecture that this is going to be a major driver of turnout next year. But for both sides, I would I would imagine. How do you think if this if something like this makes the ballot that would overturn Missouri's abortion ban. How do you think that's going to affect the election next year and possibly the the balance of power in Jefferson City? Well, there's a lot there. I think that's a complicated issue. I I think with the Dobbs decision, I I think that there's a lot of issues, Jason, you know this, uh, being Mm -hmm. pretty much an expert in your field. There's a lot of issues that people like to talk about because it gives them political power and their, their voters come out. But if it actually happens, then there's a backlash. And we saw that with obviously with the Dobbs decision with the with the abortion issue. That was something that, that was always talked about and people like to talk about it. Republicans like to talk about it. But then when it actually happened, I mean, it had nothing to do with them. The U.S. Supreme Court ruled on it. Then I think there was a backlash. So I think it depends on the difference between talking about it and actually doing it. And I think a lot of that, has, it, you know, when a, a good comparison is that what we're seeing with all these trans bills. 
I think the Republican Party likes to talk about it. I don't know how much they actually want to do it because then there's ramifications for actually discriminating. So as long as you can keep the balloon out there and keep people talking about it, they think it helps them. Um, but if they, something was actually to pass and people are actually harmed potentially, then there's that backlash. So I think as long as they can talk about a lot of these issues, I think it's maybe helpful. But then when you have, there's actually consequences, then it becomes hurtful to them. So I think they're they're walking a balance between floating it out there and actually getting something done about it. Well, I'm actually glad you you mentioned the the bills about trans rights. There have been, I I think, Sarah, correct me if I'm wrong, have there been more bills involving that issue than any other state in the country? I believe you're right on that. I know the Independent has repeatedly said that there's more bills addressing trans girls participating Mm -hmm. in sports than there are trans girls wanting to play sports in the state. So there's that issue. There's, There's the bills that want to ban or restrict gender affirming care for minors. Mm -hmm. How much momentum do you think that that will actually have in the legislature over the next couple of months? You know, I I kind of go back to what happened last session. I think a lot of this is a balloon that's being floated out there. I think people, the the Republicans want to talk about it, but what are they really going to do about it? And so I don't know. I mean, people are telling me on our side, you know, they're passing this, they're going to pass that. And, you know, one thing about the Senate, they're being really efficient this session, which as a Democrat, we don't like. They're being very productive, which as a Democrat, we don't like. I was teasing Caleb Brown about that at a little you know, meeting we had, a kind of a forum the other day about that, you know, just joking about that. So, you know, they're moving very quickly, unlike last session. I still have reservations as far as, as, a, lot of, as a lot of these things are a lot of these things going to pass. And I think they want to have us talk about it. But are they really going to go forward and pass it? So we'll see. You know, there's people on my side of the bill and say it's going to happen. They're going to pass all these bills. I don't think they are. Um, I don't think they're going to do it. And I, I think they like so in the House, especially they like throwing these you know trans bills on as amendments. So we talk about them and then we don't talk about, let's say, voting. I, I remember last session there was a voting bill that was up and uh, uh, Representative Basie put on a, one of these anti-trans bills. And then everyone talked about that till two in the morning. And then the voting bill and the trans bill went through, but the trans bill didn't pass and one of the voting bills did. So it's it's a I think it's just a way to to get people, you know, fired up, talking about it. They believe it helps their base, but then are they gonna do something at the end of the day? And I, I don't think they are. I don't think a lot of these bills are passing. We need to take a quick break, but we'll be right back. If you have a smart speaker, you have access to the entire world of NPR and St. Louis Public Radio. All the latest news and all the captivating stories. Activate our voices with yours by telling your smart speaker to play St. Louis Public Radio. And we're back on Politically Speaking. I'm your host, St. Louis Public Radio, Sarah Kellogg. My co-host is St. Louis Public Radio's Jason Rosenbaum. And our guest today is Representative David Tyson-Smith, who is the District 46 rep in the Missouri House. So uh, I want to get back to elections a little bit beyond IP. You know, the committee does more than that. You know, I want to talk about an elections bill that you heard Mm -hmm. last week. Mm -hmm. So it makes several changes to the election process. Some of those changes include no longer requiring the governmental entities register with the Secretary of State if they're registering voters, as well as allowing people to vote absentee to cast a provisional ballot. Uh, You know, what do you make of this bill? I like the bill overall. I think it's good cleanup language. You know, Bill 1878 was jammed through everyone's throats last session. Uh, A lot of people didn't even know it was in it. It was an omnibus bill. Republicans didn't know it was in it. So I'm thankful that Representative McGaugh is taking a stab at this and making an attempt to fix some of these provisions. So I'm, it's not a bad bill. I think we may be, you know, voting on it 
um, today, as a matter of fact. Um, you know, I like the fact, you know, and I, I talked to her about this in committee. I like the fact there's a provision that government entities don't have to get, they don't have to register to get people to register. I would like to see everyone not have to register to get people to register, but it, it's it's a good first step. So um, she's going in the right direction. And I, I'm, I'm proud of her for having the courage to take on her, her party and say, hey, look, we know we passed a bill last time that needs to be fixed. You know, another thing it does, it expands the electioneering free zone from a polling place from 25 feet to 100 feet. Mm-hmm. A lot of discussion was on that in committee. Yeah. You know, thoughts on that particular provision. And that's problematic. You know, I brought that up and several other members of the committee had a problem with that. I think if we can work on that, I think the bill has a better chance of passage because um, currently it's, I guess, 25 feet. She says we're going to expand it to 100 feet. The problem is, you know, especially in a lot of areas in Missouri, you know, that will put you out into the woods somewhere. Um, rural counties, you know, there's just not going to be a place to put up signs. It's going to be a problem with signage. Now, the idea behind it is there are people chasing people down in the parking lot. And so they want to, you know, push that back so they can't do that. I mean, one, they could still do that at 100 feet. Uh, two, someone had an idea about like, like a, almost like a little bubble. So people can, you know, electioneer, but they have to stay about 25 feet away from someone who's voting. That's an okay idea, but someone may have questions. I don't think we need to push everyone back that far. So I think that's probably the biggest hang-up with this with this bill, and I think if we can adjust that or modify that, um, it's got a good chance of, of going further. You know, as you said, it's, it's a cleanup bill from the bill last sure. year. You know, an election later, what have you heard as far as the impact that this past law had on elections? Well, it's caused a lot of problems. I know with absentees and, and people going in, and I think at that you know, they weren't able to, um, you know, if they had a, a there, there could be photo ID issues. Um, like, for example, if you show up in the polls and you don't have a photo ID, you can do a provisional ballot. Uh, with some of these absentee situations, um, you, you couldn't do that. So I think there's there's room to fix some of that. I, I think it caused a lot of problems, especially with the photo ID requirement, because a lot of people, uh, some like I said, there's some elderly people that don't have a photo ID. It was kind of funny. My, I was taking my daughter to vote. And we were driving down there, and she's in college. And I said, do you have your ID, Allie? And she's, like, scrambling in her purse and looking for it and everything. And I, I think she found it the last minute or had one that was going to work. And I said, you know, I, I told her, I apologize. <laughs> I apologize you're having to do this. You know, I mean, this was this was a problem. So, and then, the, you know, I was at a another facility, and they were trying to, it was kind of a get-out-the-vote campaign. And they were trying to get people to register. But, you know, you have to register to get other people to register. So people were scrambling around trying to form this magic form. And they got one, and it was a wrong form. And so they had to get another one. And it's, it's just dumb. It just slows the process down. So that, that's caused a lot of issues. Shifting gears a little bit, for, for House Democrats, it seems that one of the priorities is finding some route to passing any gun regulations mm-hmm. in response to mm-hmm. the school shooting at Central mm-hmm. Visual and Performing mm-hmm. Arts High School in yes. St. Louis. Yes. And it's an uphill battle, as I'm sure that you know. Why? What, what's kind of the impetus behind the Democratic strategy here? And why tackle this issue if the pathway to legislative success is so narrow? There's a path, Jason. There is a path for this. You know, I filed a bill banning teenagers from having the ability to purchase semi-automatic or automatic firearms. It's already illegal for automatic firearms, but AK-47s, AR-15s. It would have stopped the St. Louis shooting, Uvalde, Texas, where someone turns 18, they go in and buy an AK-47 or an assault rifle or AR-15-type platform. Republicans don't like when you say the word assault rifle, so I get it. Um, I've talked to a lot of Republicans about that. I've gone office to office, you know, in an exhausting fashion, sitting down with them. Most of them that I've talked to 
are not necessarily opposed to that. I think there's fear of their party, but they're not entirely against it. I had one gentleman tell me, if this is close, I'm not going to vote against it. There are a few in the minority that have told me, no, 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 they're just not going to do it. But the bulk of the people I talk to have signaled to me that they're either not going to fight it or they're not necessarily opposed to it. And if it's close, I mean, and so like I said, someone told me if it's close, they're going to vote for it. And so there is an appetite. For I think people are kind of very cautious and they're scared. They're kind of looking around to the left and to the right to see what people around them are doing. It has to be done very delicately with a scalpel. And there's, there is a way. And actually, I don't want to divulge too much, but I was working on something yesterday because it looked like there was a path for some type of gun restriction language. And I was on the House floor and also doing something else. I was typing something else because I was uh, in conference with some of the members of my, my party. But there's a signal was given to us that there may be a way. So mm-hmm. it's not over for, as far as that goes. Yeah. And we saw earlier this month how reluctant Republicans are to passing any form of gun control when they voted down a provision that would have banned minors from possessing right. a gun without adult supervision in right. a public space. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, I did read something yesterday that when that idea was floated in, in the Senate Judiciary Committee, Senator Nick Schroer said that he may be working on something. Jason was reading my story, probably. (laughs) I was reading Sarah's story. It was Sarah's story, by the way. I I just read so much material that it all blends together. I I apologize for that, Sarah. That's okay. So, um, you know, Nick Schroer is not exactly a a commie, so -hmm. to speak. So is it possible that, like, maybe Republicans are seeing the backlash to that and trying to figure out an elegant solution there? Absolutely. And I, I will tell you this, and I speak this, you know, from the heart. There is there is a path and that Republicans recognize something needs to be done. Um, I've spoken with one or two people in the Republican leadership and we've had conversations and the conversation is kind of like they put their, you know, hand on their head and they, you know, sigh and say, We've got to do something about this. Everybody knows in this building that something needs to be done. There are a few people who are staunch, you know, staunchly opposed. Um you know, House Bill 301, which is the bill that you're referring to that about where they stripped off the language about minors carrying guns. That, that bill is kind of hijacked in committee. That was initially on the committee. A bipartisan commission put that provision on, on the bill to prevent minors or children from having walking around with guns. And it was stripped at the end because several people in the committee got rid of it. So the, their people on the Republican Party know that something needs to be done. It just has to be done the right way. And I'm, I'm not a believer in, you know, it can't be done. It's there. It just, like I said, it takes a scalpel. You know, you mentioned 301. I want to talk on that bill. Yes. You know, the big part of it is the special prosecutor part mm-hmm. of it. You know, it allows mm-hmm. the governor to appoint a special prosecutor mm-hmm. to address violent crime in cities like St. Louis. Right now, St. Louis is the only one who would meet that threshold, you know, mm-hmm. that would meet that threshold. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you voted present on this bill. I'm curious <laughs> as to why. Gosh, you got me. You know, yeah, I, I think <laughs> I, I think do I was, my research. I look at those roles. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I think I, I think I was the only present. You know, it's complicated. Um, so I sat on I, I, I'm not on the committee that heard the bill, but I was present for a lot of the, the bill when, when they were talking about it and debating it. it. I mean, they debated that for a long, long time. Um, I attempted to get an amendment on the bill banning, um, like I said, teenagers from purchasing firearms. The amendment didn't get on. But I was optimistic about getting it on, and, and a lot of people didn't oppose. I mean, I, I didn't want to come out and, and be blatantly against this bill. I, I just, it's, there's kind of some background there, but I felt like a present vote was probably the best thing to do there because I felt like 
there was some support for the gun legislation that I had been working on with some people in that building. And so I felt like to get maybe some traction on this gun bill, a president vote might have been the best way to do it. It's kind of, you know, politicking. Uh, you know, that's just kind of the way the game's played sometimes. You know, the bill's been seen as targeting St. Louis Circuit Attorney Kim Gardner, who now is facing a call from Andrew Bailey to resign. Actually, he's working on removing her from office. You know, what are your thoughts on this situation? That's a mess. Uh, it's definitely a mess. It's talked about. And I mean, it's obviously got national news. You know, I've looked up the you know I've looked up the case that particular case where the girl you know was injured uh, to see what happened in that case. You know, I leave that to a lot of the people in St. Louis to to examine. You know, I'm I represent Columbia, and I was talking to a St. Louis rep about that about what he thought about it. Um, I think it's definitely a, a firestorm over there, and um, I mean it's a tragedy. You've got a girl coming from out of town; she got, she lost her legs. I mean, that's horrific. Beautiful young girl. So, I mean, somebody dropped the ball there. I mean, that's something that should have been taken care of, on whether it's the prosecutor or the judge. But, you know, this guy had multiple violations, and somebody should have stopped that from happening. The legislature has passed its first law of the session, signed yesterday by Governor Parson, an emergency supplemental that provides raises for state workers. You know, what are your thoughts on this is the first thing that you all passed this year? I think it's good. I think it shows, you know, a willingness to do the right thing. And I know a lot of Democrats were pleased with the governor's budget out of the box. So, um, I mean, they stood, I gave him more standing ovations. I think the Republicans were mad because of that. So I think state workers need raises, and I think it's a good thing. Yeah, kind of speaking on that, do you think there's been a disconnect between what Governor Parson has honed in on during his State of the State speech and what lawmakers are actually focused on during these, like, this first two months of session? Sure, sure. I think the governor, you know, recognizes the need to, to help people, um, you know, the working poor, um, people who are, and I'm not going to say teachers are necessarily the working poor, but, you know, when you deal with Medicaid issues, I think it's unfortunate that, you know, the majority party came out of the box with, one, the IP issue, and then, two, the trans issue. There are so many issues we could be talking about. I mean, there's I-70 issues. There's crime. I'm going to say guns. Um, you know, gas prices, so on and so forth. But yet we're going to focus on primarily trans issues. And, you know, the reality is there's only so much oxygen in the building. You can only do a, a few things to really get to, for them to really pass. And so you can only do like two or three things. You only tee up a couple and for them to spend so much time on these issues. I mean, the hearings are like the trans building you know, until 2 in the morning. It was from 4 p.m. to like 2 a.m. Why are we spending so much time on this? It's, it's, it's nauseating. You know, uh, just a couple more questions. Uh, we spoke on one of your bills. I want to talk about another, the Drivers Protection Act. Uh, mm -hmm. What does that bill do? So it prevents law enforcement from pulling people over for non-point violations. So, for example, um, if you have a bumper issue, if you have a taillight out, you can't be pulled over by law enforcement. So just to cut down on uh, inappropriate stops by the police and things that can escalate like we saw, you know, down south. You know, if you don't need to pull someone over, don't do it. And then my final one, which I should have probably asked first, but how do you feel in general that the legislative session has gone uh, so far this year? Um, I think, again, it's been more productive. You know, we had a lot of we've had a lot of high profile issues with the, you know, the dress code issue that's finally died down. And then um, some of these other things. But, you know, where things are moving, um, it's gone by fast, as, as it always does. So, you know, again, I'm worried that there's the Senate's moving so efficiently with some of these bills that I don't like, but we'll see. And I, you know, just on a personal level, you know, I, you know, my grandmother was in the Navy in World War II, and so I filed a bill designating June 12th as Veterans um, 
Women's Appreciation Day, and that actually got the committee, got voted out of committee unanimously, so I'm excited about that. So maybe we can honor women veterans along the way. Absolutely. Well, that is all the time. We got a lot of questions that we were very efficient this, this morning, great. which this is, is really good. I'm happy that you're able to come and join us. Thank you again for being on the show. Politically Speaking is a product of St. Louis Public Radio, which is a part of the University of Missouri, St. Louis. You can follow my and Jason work and all the work at St. Louis Public Radio at stlpr.org. And Representative Smith, where can people find you on the internet where you want to be found? Yeah, just my website, capital website, davidtysonsmith.com. So I'm everywhere. Um, not hard to find. Look forward to hearing from people. And thank you for having me on this show. I love it. You guys do a fantastic job. Keep it going. Well, flattery will get you everywhere. Thank All you right. so much. So long.